Good morning, and we bid you welcome, and also for the first time to The Daily Pod, author John Kieswetter, with a uh, book that's uh, gotten a lot of uh, attention around the area, Joe Nuxall, The Old Left-Hander in Me. My conversations with Joe Nuxall about the Reds, baseball, and radio. Good morning to you, John. Good morning. Isn't it nice to be talking baseball in December? Exactly. Heck yeah. Anytime that you can talk baseball, it's a, it's always a good thing, especially in the uh, the winter months. And of course, uh, WRBI, uh, the Reds Radio Network affiliate. And uh, and uh, first off, John, the obvious question: What prompted you to write this book? Well, when I left the Enquirer and joined uh, Cincinnati Public Radio in 2015, I knew I was going to write a book. I, 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 that's something I just wanted to do, and I kicked around different topics and, and all, and I was actually writing a chapter about Marty and Joe and went into my Nuxall files and realized I had a, uh, had many, many interviews with him uh, from like over a 20-year span when I was the Enquirer TV critic. And, um, and I thought, boy, I've got a lot of information and a lot of stuff he didn't touch on in his own book. And so I started working on this, and uh, I'm pretty pleased how it came out. And, of course, uh, I understand that uh, some of this includes uh, some popular uh, after-dinner stories. Well, that's what got me into it. I, 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 lived, I grew up in Middletown. Joe lived in, in Hamilton. He was, as a kid in the 60s, he was my favorite player because we're both left-handed. And he was a pretty darn good pitcher. So in 1986, my wife and I moved to Fairfield, where Joe lived. And um, my neighbor across the street said, hey, Joe's speaking to the KSC tonight. This was in January before the season started, before he went to spring training. And so we went, and he told wonderful stories about his playing career, about his teammates, about his fiery temper for like uh, an hour and a half without notes. And so whatever I would interview him, I'd always ask him, hey, tell me about the time that Jim Maloney got into a spitball duel with Gaylord Perry, or tell me about the time you, you kept falling on your butt trying to field bunts after a rain delay. And so all these stories that I'd love him to tell weren't in his book. So they're actually the first chapter of my book. I just felt that they should be prized, preserved, and passed on to Reds fans from generation to generation. And of course, uh, he uh, had stops in other uh, major league cities around the around the country. You know, uh, with the uh, Kansas City Athletics, and I believe the um, California Angels. And uh, did he uh, did you uh, talk about that in the book? Uh, yeah, he was um, he was one and eight with the Reds in 1960. They traded him to the Kansas City Athletics, and he had a year in the American League. And it was notable because uh, he hit like 282. He was such a good hitter that the Athletics used him as a pinch hitter, and he hit 15 home runs over his career. And in Kansas City, he hit one in Yankee Stadium off Whitey Ford into deep center field. So um, I talked to him a bit about Kansas City. The, the next year, he he went to the, the, the A's released him. They, the uh, Baltimore Orioles picked him up. He was in spring training with, like, Brooks Robinson and, and Robin Roberts and some of their great stars, they cut him, they traded him to uh, the California Angels the day before opening day, and he only had five appearances in, with the Angels, and they cut him, and he signed back on with the Reds and went to San Diego, which at that point was the Reds' AAA farm club, and like 12 appearances, he pitched nine complete games, and the Reds brought him up in July of 
62, and uh, he went 5-0. and And it was kind of the second half of his career. He pitched from 62 to 60 to the spring of 67 with the Reds before he went to the Wiedemann Beer Reds radio booth. And of course, uh, you know everybody thinks of uh, of Joe Knoxall with along with Marty Brenneman, but uh, he had some different partners, obviously, at that time. And uh, of course, this was after um, understand Wade Hoyt uh, had uh, done Reds games with Burger Beer was right. a big sponsor, and then uh, Wiedemann uh, took over, and uh, then uh, Joe uh, Joe got involved and in, had uh, in a partnership with uh, was it, I believe uh, Claude Sullivan and uh, Jim McIntyre, if I'm not mistaken. Wiedemann took over the rights in '66. And Wade Hoyt opted to uh, retire rather than work for a different beer sponsor. Uh, Berger had stood by Wade uh, when he had a bad bout with alcoholism and missed six weeks during the season in the early 40s. Um, so in 66, it was Jim McIntyre and Claude Sullivan. And then in 67, uh, Wiedemann wanted to have an ex-player in the booth to tell some stories. And they had talked to Weed- uh, talked to Nussie in the, in the offseason season. And there was actually a three-man booth uh, for the start of 67. Uh, unfortunately, um, Claude Sullivan, who was also the main University of Kentucky basketball and football announcer, who uh, came, um, developed cancer, and, and it was affecting his throat and his voice. And he left the broadcast booth about mid-season and passed away at the end of the year. Um, so Joe became it was a, basically a two-man booth for the second half of '67, and then he worked with Jim McIntyre th- through the 1970 season, which was, of course was the opening of Riverfront and the um, and the 19 games up to the 1970 World Series, and then there was another beer sponsorship change. Strohs came in, and they wanted a new announcer, so they hired a young guy named Al Michaels. And Joe was with Al Michaels, who had never called a major league game at age 26. And then three years later, when Al Michaels went to the San Francisco Giants because they tripled his salary, uh, he he was with. They brought in Marty Brenneman, who had never seen him or never called a major league game, and was with Marty for 31 years. Yeah, whatever happened to that Michaels guy, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I just saw him last night on, yeah. on um, Monday Night Football. It's, it's a, you know, he he had a great springboard here in Cincinnati uh, because of the Bengals and in the in the AFL at that point, um, he um, you know did some he did his first uh, football games as kind of a pickup announcer on some regional games with the Bengals. Uh, for NBC, and, and that kind of got the attention of the network. And he did some work involved with the um, World Series in '72, uh, and uh, so he he uh, did okay. And so Cincinnati is a great springboard for him. Indeed, and um, you know, of course, uh, his partner also uh, former Bengal uh, Chris Collinsworth, uh, who we uh, we saw on TV last night as well. So, uh, you know, a lot of a uh, lot of uh, you know Cincinnati uh, connections there. And um, but as far as uh, Joe's concerned, of course, he moved on to uh, with Marty Bremen, a thirty-one year partnership. And uh, uh, I'll tell you what, that's uh, that's just unbelievable. One of those uh, really lengthy partnerships that uh, lasted. Uh, you know, it's it, quite notable. I mean, and a lot of uh, radio uh, announcers, uh, you know, baseball announcers, you know, a lot of teams don't stick together, and they stuck together for what, thirty-one years. It, that's uh, it, that that tied uh, um, Vince Scully and his partner for the for the longest, 
And, uh, yeah, and, and Marty has often said, particularly in, in later at, at his career after Joe passed, that, that you know, the, the way that young announcers are today and they move up from market to market to bigger and bigger, and um, and that uh, 31, the record of 31 years, you know, what, what he thought would stand forever. He didn't think anybody could, would, would break that for a partnership. But, you know, and, and Marty himself, uh, as, a, as a young buck announcer, had many times that he had offers to, to go elsewhere, including the, the White Sox, the Cubs, um, the Giants. Um, I, I, interestingly, it, it was the Dodgers. The Dodgers made a run out of, out of Marty saying, hey, you could be number two to Scully, and when Scully retires, you'd take over. <laughs> and it would have turned out that he would have been number two to Scully longer than he worked with Marty by the time Scully retired just a few years ago. Yeah, and uh, then of course Marty uh, not uh, retiring not too many years after that. But uh, yeah, so uh, you know a lot of a lot of uh, interwoven uh, things as far as uh, Marty Brenner and Joe Nux all some synonymous around the area. And uh, we're going to go ahead and take a, a quick timeout, and we'll continue our conversation with John Keyswetter, the author of Joe Nuxall, the old left hander, and me. And that's coming up right after this. Don't adjust your radio. The sound that you hear is your stomach. You're having trouble focusing. You can't recall your last meal. You're trapped in the hunger zone. The solution, Batesville to go. Let To Go deliver a hot, fresh meal to your home or office whenever hunger strikes. To Go delivers the best food from local restaurants. Visit us online at togodelivers.com or call us at 812-727-8800. Batesville to go. Big city convenience, small town taste. And welcome back. I'm Tom Snape as we continue our conversation with John Keyswetter, the author of Joe Nuxall, The Old Left-Hander, and Me. And, of course, uh, John, before the break, we were talking about uh, Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall and their 31-year partnership. And, um, of course, uh, also there's a lot of work as far as uh, things are concerned, such as Joe's pregame and postgame interviews. But also, those two like to play pranks on each other. I I, I devote a a, a whole chapter in the book called Pranks for the Memories, and and you thought they were fun listening to on the air on your station and, and the Reds Radio Network, but it was, um, th- they just had great fun playing pranks on each other in the booth before and after the game, um, and th- there was one time that, that um, they stuck a post, it was in San Francisco, there was the the engineer who 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 did engineered the visiting radio team was quite a prankster. One time he brought in an old VHS machine. This was back in the late seventies when they were about the size of a suitcase and, and hooked it up, hooked it up to the, uh, to the TV monitor. And Joe Morgan steals second and gets thrown out. Sparky bolts out of the dugout to run out to argue with the umpire. And Joe's calling the inning and he looks down at the TV monitor. And instead of seeing a replay of the thing, up pops an X-rated movie, and, <laughs> and and Joe is speechless, and he's sitting there taking his elbow and just beating Marty in the ribs and pointing to the monitor because he's convinced that the entire Reds TV network is, is watching a porno film instead of a Reds game at that point. And it, 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 it was just things that they did on, to each other and mostly making uh, Joe the victim. But it, it's uh, it, it was fun to do this book. I, I got Joe to talk about it years ago. I got Marty. Actually, Marty did the forward to the book, and and uh, Jim Borkman, the former uh, my former colleague at the Enquirer, the political cartoonist, uh, did the did the cover for me. 
and it, it was just 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 great fun. I, in, in addition to talking to Marty at length, uh, I talked to Bench Foster. Um, Oster, Browning, uh, Doug Flynn, uh, Welsh and Brantley, of course, uh, the Stowe brothers, who uh, Bernie Stowe's kids who run the, the clubhouses, um, and Joe's widow Don Zetta and their sons Kim and Phil Nuxall, and um, I just and Hal McCoy of the Dayton Daily News. I, t- I tried to get all the stories I could I could round up of people who knew Nux. Uh, people like Bench and Foster. Uh, there's another chapter about him pitching batting practice. You know, you watch a game on TV and you see Trish Welsh or Brantley or, or John Dar- uh, Ron Darling, uh, John Smoltz, and Oral Hershiser, all these former pitchers in the booth. None of them are throwing batting practice. And the day after he retired in 1967 and went to the booth, um, Joe started pitching batting practice, and that was his workout. And he did it like for 20 years. And, well past beyond when Rose came back as player manager in 84 was Jason Ty Cobb. He's still pitching batting practice. And Bench and Foster had said that having a former major league left-handed pitcher on the mound throwing batting practice when they'd be facing Steve Carlton or Jerry Kuzman or Randy Jones with a tough lefty, they could see the arm slot, the arm angle, and pick up the ball. It wasn't the same speed, of course, but but it, it, he was a real secret weapon for the Reds when they faced tough lefties for the big red machine. And that's the thing that a lot of people uh, maybe not realize that, because uh, I do remember that uh, he did patch, you know, pitch batting practice all those years, and uh, that's uh, that's very interesting. That uh, and so uh, it's uh, something to uh, keep an eye out on if you happen to get this book. And uh, and John, we uh, talked about uh, Marty Brenneman's out of town uh, job opportunities, but uh, it was not only that, but uh, there was other times when their partnership uh, could have ended prematurely. <laughs> Uh, that, that's a whole other chapter. Yeah, there's, uh, people don't realize how lucky we were to have them together for 31 years, day after day. And then even after that, another three years after that, Joe did some part-time fill-in on some games. Yeah, when you, when you look at – well, first of all, Al Michaels wasn't the Reds' first choice. They had another announcer that they were interested in. Secondly, you know, if, if Al Michaels would have stayed and liked it here instead of going to Frisco – Marty might not have been ever come here. Um, then in, in 1988, many of your longtime fans will remember when Pete Rose and Ron Pallone got into it at, at second base, and, and Rose, in, in, in an argument late in the game, Pallone was making a point and poked Pete in the face, and he shoved the umpire in return, and the, and the crowd in the riverfront went nuts and started throwing stuff on the field and was just very loud. And um, Marty and Joe called it pretty honestly, telling them, uh, describing the ugliness in Riverfront that night. Well, the commissioner wanted to blame that ugliness on Marty and Joe and hauled them to New York and um, actually actually threatened them to to ban them from baseball a year before uh, Pete was banned from baseball. Um, And and Marty made the point that – you know, it, the crowd was so loud in Riverfront that night. If you're listening to the game in the park, you couldn't have heard the radio announcers because everybody was yelling, screaming, chanting, and uh, throwing stuff on the field. Another funny aside to that was, as they're being, they were told, but they had to go to New York the next day, so they go to the airport. It's like 6:30 in the morning. They're all bleary-eyed, 
And Marty looked at Joe and said, hey, he says, bet you didn't have fun like this without Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine not. And I, and I don't remember any incidences like that during Al Michaels' time. So. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, not at all. But uh, also, uh, I noticed that, um, you know, there's also involvement in the, when it could have ended uh, due to uh, Dick Wagner and uh, even Marge Schott. Well, you know, with Dick Wagner, um, Dick Wagner's relationship or Marty's relationship with Dick Wagner was pretty contentious. And there were several times that that, that Marty thought he was going to get fired, thought it would be his last year, or, or and at one point tried to quit. This was after um, uh, to send a message. Dick Wagner put a third man in the booth for a weekend in. In um, I guess it was 1980. It was it was um, late 70s or early 80s, and um, and Marty was tipped off that the, the Reds announced that it was going to be for the possible eventual cable games. This was an experiment, but but a couple of friends in the front office tipped off Marty that it, this was really to send a message to to Marty that 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 they were way too crit- he was way too critical of of the Reds players and. Um, the uh, and then with Marge, uh, the, the, there were times that that they'd come to an agreement for a contract renewal with John Allen, and then Marge would nix it. And uh, even one point uh, near the end of the season in September, um, Marty was on WLW that morning, the flagship station, saying, "Hey, if we don't get a contract, we don't get this straightened out by the end of the year. I'm going to walk." And uh, that that publicity, negative publicity. Uh, Got them to get the the issue resolved by the end of the week, but yeah, it was as much as we loved them, um, Marty in particular with Dick Wagner and Marge Schott, um had some had a lot of rough road that uh, could have broken up that partnership of, of sooner than the thirty one years we were able to enjoy them. Yeah, and uh, thankfully that uh, you know they were together those 31 years. And as you mentioned, um, in, in a little reminder that uh, Nuxall did do some games uh, in a part-time basis, right. filling and uh, after he had uh, stepped down. And then, uh, but uh, so John, uh, can you tell us uh, some places where we can uh, find uh, Joe Nuxall, the old left-hander, and me? It, 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 it's, well, if you're in the Cincinnati area, it's at Joseph Beth Bookstore and at the Reds Hall of Fame gift shop. Uh, it's, I, I also have a website, and if you order it from there, I sign every book and I mail them the next day. So I know we're getting kind of near Christmas. So, uh, I, I, and I know I'm signing an awful lot of books to to, uh, to longtime Reds fans. But the, my my website is tvkeys tv k i e s e dot com, and like I said, I'm, I'm self publishing. So I've got the stack of books here in my living room next to the Christmas tree, and I. And I sign them and mail them the next day. It's also available at Amazon. Um, it, and, and the book came out in September. And the one other thing I'll note is for every book I sell, I'm given a dollar to the Nuxall Foundation, which, which gives out about $28,000 in scholarships, college scholarships to high school seniors and runs the Miracle League up in Fairfield at a facility that they built uh, back side by side baseball fields for people with the developmentally uh, disadvantaged can play baseball of all ages. They got leagues, adult leagues, and kid leagues, ages four to to seventy four uh, play baseball. But uh, the best way to get it is is to through my website tvkeys.com, dot com t v k i e s e 
com. All right. And so an excellent uh, cause that that uh, goes to the, the Joe Nuxall Miracle Fields in Fairfield. So um, and that's a you know, great thing. And uh, anything else, uh, John, before we uh, before we let you go and get back to uh, signing and mailing books? Well, I just, you know, it, it was a labor of love to do this. Uh, I mean, there's, there's some things that, like I said, in the, a lot of people listened to him for, you know, all those years on the radio thought they knew him pretty well. But, uh, you know, at one point, Dick Wagner wanted to get rid of him before they hired Al Michaels. That's in the book. Uh, there's some great stories about, I, I do a whole chapter, a serious look at him as a pitcher. You know, when he retired uh, at, in spring training of 67, he told all these funny stories about being a, 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 his playing days. But when he retired, he was number one for the red strikeouts all time with uh, 1,289. It was number one for games pitched and was number one for the number of years pitching for the Reds. And the strikeout and the appearances record had been broken. But he still holds the record 54 years later for the most seasons pitching for the Reds. So uh, there's some good stories in there about uh, Ted Kozuski, only post for the old-timers. And um, like I said, it's 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 a good Christmas gift. Uh, I know I'm signing lots of them for family members and and friends and longtime Reds fans. And, and you can get the book from tvkeys.com, tvkiese.com. John Keyswetter, uh, author of uh, Joe Nuxall, The Old Left-Hander and Me. I sure enjoyed this uh, talking with you this morning, and uh, best of luck, continued success, and uh, hopefully you sell a lot of books and uh, also uh, get some uh, proceeds going to the uh, Nuxall Foundation. I've uh, sold about 2700 so that's going to be $2,700. That's almost enough for uh, three scholarships for the, uh, for the Nuxall Foundation. All right, that's great. Well, appreciate it. Thank you, John. Thank you. Once again, our thanks to John Keysweater, the author of Joe Nuxall, The Old Left-Hander and Me. I'm Tom Snape for The Daily Pod.